We're talking about freedom in Christ. You have to realize when you look at the Bible to understand freedom in Christ, you have to understand that you are already free. That's the hardest thing to do because many times you look at all of your circumstances, you look at the way you feel, you look at everything that you're seeing and hearing, and it looks like you're not free when all the time you are. And once you realize and gain revelation knowledge that you are free, then you won't put up with anything that's bondage in your life. Anything that doesn't look like what the word says, you will get it out of your life. So what we're gonna talk about today, we're gonna go deeper in what Jesus has done to provide freedom. Now, the men will have a little bit of an advantage because they've heard some of this stuff before. So what that means is they'll just go a little, be able to go a little deeper maybe. But I believe God wants to show you this, what we're talking about today, these scriptures are thrilling. They will thrill your spirit. For many of you, you're going to see the freedom that you possess, and it'll forever change your life. So let's get into this. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to read verses 18 and 19. It says, for as much as you know. Notice, this is something that, that God wants you to know. You must know this. What is it? That you are not redeemed with corruptible things. He gives examples. You weren't redeemed by paying silver, gold, money. You weren't redeemed from your vain conversation that you received by tradition from your fathers. In other words, you weren't redeemed because your mom and dad were serving God or because they, they bought the pew that you're sitting on. Right? That's corruptible. You weren't redeemed with this. But you were redeemed, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It took Jesus Christ, it took his blood. He redeemed you with part of him. The Bible says in Leviticus 17 that the life of the flesh is in the blood. In other words, Jesus redeemed you with his life, with his blood. And it's incorruptible. That means what he did for you. Redemption took you out of one place by paying your ransom and he puts you somewhere else, right? That's redemption. He took you out of the delegated influence of darkness, placed you into the kingdom of his dear son once and for all. It's incorruptible. That can never be changed. You, you cannot, as a child of God, ever be put under the delegated influence of darkness. Isn't it amazing that you have believers that are being influenced by darkness, but they are not under that influence? They're literally, they're buying a lie. That influence that seems so strong has zero power. Isn't that amazing? This is so important that you know this. You've been redeemed 
by the precious blood of Jesus. So you are and forever will be his. Right? Another scripture. Go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Why are you free? Because there was blood shed for you. The blood of God was shed for you to put you in a place of freedom. Hebrews 9, 12, neither by, or you could say it this way in the Greek, neither by or neither through the blood of goats and calves, but by, or you could say, or but through his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. This means he purchased our freedom. And our freedom is eternal. We've been eternally redeemed. That can never be changed. And it says, neither by the blood of goats and calves. Why does it say that? In the Old Testament, the high priest would literally, and, and the priestly, there were all these animal sacrifices. All this blood was shed to cover sin for a short season. But here... It tells us he entered once with his own blood. Wow. He went into, in the Old Testament, there was a tabernacle that was made by hands. And, they, and in that place, there was the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant was there, and there was a mercy seat. And the high priest, once a year, literally would go through all this cleansing of himself he would put on this priestly robe. It's interesting, even the robes that these priests wore, because they were in a desert, were made of a material that breathes so much. Why? Because God did not want them, while they were working in front of him, to sweat. Why? Because he's not a God of toil. He wants people at rest. But the priest, on his robe... It had bells on the bottom of it, and they would tie a rope around his ankle, and once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, and what that would do, the, above the mercy seat was the Shekinah glory of God. The presence of God was there. If he did something wrong, because a holy God cannot dwell with an unholy man, and something's going to give, so if there was anything wrong in him, the people would be without listening. They, it's a kind of a stressful day, the Day of Atonement. Because, you know, they needed their sins covered. Without their sins covered, all hell's breaking loose in their life. They're being taken captive, they're being killed, they're, you know, they're, they're getting into lack, all this stuff. They're listening for the bells. If those bells ever stop, they know why. He did something wrong, fell dead, and they would drag him out. But if everything was done right, he would put the blood there, and God, there was a legal right because he had cut covenant with Abraham. There was a legal right. God could not erase their sin, but God could cover it, or really a, even a, a, a more accurate of the Hebrew, he could seal it for a year. And they could walk, if they obeyed him, they could walk in the blessings of having their sins forgiven. 
They weren't gone like our forgiveness. They were just covered, right? But this is saying Jesus came out of the grave. Remember that story? Mary Magdalene's there and she's like, hey, Jesus, she goes to touch him. And he's like, wait, Mary, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended, but now it changes. I've not yet ascended to my father and now your father because I made a way for you now. To my God and Mary, to your God. And what he did then, he took all the Old Testament saints out of paradise and he went up into heaven, right? In the book of Psalms, you read it in the Psalms. Open up ye gates and let the king of glory in. It responds, it's like the gates respond, who is this king of glory? And then the response back is, the Lord, mighty in battle. He overcame. He fought every battle that you and I would ever fight, and he gave us the victory. Yeah, but it seems like I'm just fighting. Yeah, it seems like it. But stop fighting because you've already won. And then he took his blood into the tabernacle that he made, not with his hands, he made it with his mouth. He spoke it. There's an eternal tabernacle. It's right there in heaven. And there's an Ark of the Covenant there. There's a mercy seat on it. And he poured his blood on that mercy seat. And his blood forever speaks that you and I are free. It forever speaks. It didn't cover sin. It erased it. The New Testament word for forgiveness is the word many times translated remission. It literally means not only forgiven, but it also means the penalty was canceled. And here's the great part. The guilt, the condemnation, the shame is removed. Everything. Everything that has to do with sin is gone. That's what this is talking about. He entered once. He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Hallelujah. In other words, you and I, we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? There's no greater love than that. God has given us everything. And man, religion has watered it down. Entertainment Christianity has watered it down. But in reality, you're never going to really be able to water it down. And I'm telling you, the voice of this is growing in the church all over the world. So now, because I have been redeemed, because you have been redeemed by his blood, this literally creates a perfect righteousness in us. He was made to bear all of our sins, and all of our sins, Romans said, was condemned once and for all in his flesh, that we might be made the very righteousness of Almighty God in Christ. His blood produces literally a perfect righteousness that breaks condemnation And it breaks everything that would ever mess with your mind or your life. It breaks all of it. Not going to break, it's broken. 
Think about it. The power of sin is broken in your life. As a child of God, you are never forced to do anything. You can't be made to sin. So that leaves you with the reality that if there's sin in your life, you have had to choose it. Eyes wide open, you just had to choose it. Yeah, but it just, this desire in my flesh seems so strong. It is not anything compared to the righteousness that you have been made in your spirit. And if you'll literally meditate in the word of God and start speaking it, this is the problem today. Most people don't understand. They read the Bible, but they never confess it. So they have, they have all this stuff in them, but nothing's being released to, to, to help them walk in this freedom, right? This is so important that we see this. Sin consciousness is broken. It's gone. We're going to see more about this. Guilt and shame is broken and gone. God looks at you as if sin has never existed before. You know why? Because there is, you have no history of sin. It's been erased. It's been erased. I have faith in his blood because of all this now. I walk by faith. I have faith in his blood. I plead my case by the blood. Satan, you have to take your hands off me because I'm blood bought. I'm not yours. You have no authority here. You can't steal, kill, and destroy. You're not going to have me. You're not going to have my family. You're not going to have my things. You're not going to have this church. Right? Why? We plead the blood. And when we say, oh, Satan, there's a bloodline. You couldn't cross it to take out the children of Israel. You can't cross it to take me out or my family out. We have to know this because otherwise he will come and try to take you out. There is power in the blood of Jesus that has made you and I free. So you ready for verse 13? Hebrews 9, 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats, if the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, he is explaining old covenant sacrifices. The blood of bulls, the blood of goats, the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling on unclean people, purified them for a season. If that's true, which it is, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit of God, wow, in other words, the blood of Christ and the eternal Spirit are inseparable. The blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge, purge, purge. This means to cleanse. What is he going to cleanse? Your conscience. What? I thought just my spirit was made brand new. Your conscience was purged. 
See, did you hear me say we're free from a sin consciousness? Why is that? Because our conscience has been purged. What is your conscience? It's literally the voice of your spirit. It is how your spirit expresses itself. Reason is the voice of your mind. It's how your mind expresses itself, right? Feelings are the, the, the voice, it's the voice of your flesh. It's how, how your flesh expresses. Your conscience has been purged by the blood of Christ. Well, then what's the problem? Then why am I conscious of, conscious of sin? You're, you aren't. That's just in your unrenewed mind, and that's in your flesh. Your spirit is completely, that conscience is purged. In other words, when you think your conscience is all messed up and all you can think about is how horrible you are, guess where that's coming from? It's all coming from lies of the enemy. All, all a person's doing there is they're not guarding their thought life. They're not taking every thought captive. Why is a Christian down? Because they're looking at wrong things. Because there's joy and faith in believing. Oh, man, this makes religious people mad. Because this is too good to be true. Exactly, that's why we call it the gospel. Right? How, let me read this again. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge or cleanse your conscience from what? From dead works to serve the living God. In Philippians, do you notice how it says, work out your own, Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, or in other words, you work out your own salvation with a reverence and honor and a respect above everything else in life of God. That's how I, that's how I live. And then it says right after that, for it is God that worketh in you. He energizes you to want to do his will and to do it. That's exactly what this is saying. Your conscience has been purged from dead works. I wonder if we need revelation of this. Dead works. Man, we got a lot of people doing ministry with wrong motives. I just need to feel important. So I'm going to pastor in such a way where, you've, where I just need to feel that you really need me instead of being led by the Spirit of God. I want to do everything with the right motive. How do you do that? Father, I thank God every day, multiple times, I thank you that my conscience has been purged from dead works. If I ever step into anything like a dead work, it'll just be like scratching on a chalkboard. Oh, yikes, what in the world? right? That's like a Brussels sprout to me, right? In the same way, my flesh rejects the Brussels sprout. My spirit rejects dead works. Am I going too far with that? I'm probably going too far with that. Okay. All right. But anyway, how did I get off on that? You've been purged. You know, they say less than 10% of churchgoers do anything in their local church. And yet God has, has the local church is the foundation well, I'm too busy. And we live in 2022. 
we're the only ones of the generation of the church that could really use that excuse. Because we are, are, is any of you guys busy? How busy could you be? Do you think corporately they would let you work 24 hours a day and, and probably still want you to work more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what's the deal? So you're going to have to believe God. Because if the Holy Spirit's leading you to do something, you got to do it. If you don't seek first the kingdom, if you're seeking first your career, if you're seeking first yourself, he can't add anything to you. So we got to go all the way back here and realize my conscience has been purged from dead works to serve the living God. Your spirit man wants to serve him with everything. You know, over 40 years, I've seen so many gifted, talented, anointed people called of God walk away from ministry, usually because of insecurity. This is why we need to teach this. This is so important. The purging of your conscience, it's a new testament, a new covenant blessing. Hallelujah. The blood of Christ has the power to reach into the conscience of man and silence the voice of self-condemnation. See, you're your own worst enemy. I'm my own worst enemy. Nobody beats you up more than yourself. And the blood of Christ, as you gain a revelation knowledge of that blood, what it has done for you, you'll walk free. You'll stop condemning yourself. You have to stop condemning yourself. This is so important because when you condemn yourself, you are literally siding with the enemy and empowering him to drag you back into that nonsense. So we are going to walk free from that. The blood of Christ, in other words, according to God's word, has the power to remove sin, the guilt of sin, the shame of sin, the condemnation of sin. It has the power to remove the stain of sin. You've been made brand new. And here is the key. Wherever the blood is honored. Now I would say this. This is a principle that you have to get. Wherever the blood is honored, the Holy Spirit will work. You want the Holy Spirit working in your life? You honor what the blood has done for you. How do you do that? Father, I thank you that you've made me free. I thank you that I've been redeemed by your blood. And now I stand here as a righteous child of yours with your very faith, with your love shed abroad in my heart, with you continually strengthening me, with my eyes wide open, being led by your spirit to do exploits in this earth, and to be a light in this dark place, right? And you walk as a free person, as an example, and you, you go to people, follow me as I follow Christ. This is what Christ has done for me. He'll do the same for you, or he has done the same for you. So important. Hallelujah. Once you become blood conscious, the Holy Spirit is able to work in you, and through you. This is so important. 
your confession and your faith in the blood causes you to become blood conscious instead of sin conscious. What do you mean by conscious? You know, I think I said this to the guys Saturday. So if you walked in here this morning and there were about 800 large eight-foot-long snakes. Uh, yeah, that's right. We'd have, a, we'd have a very short, small crowd, right? No, you guys would come save me, wouldn't you? Some people are going, yeah, no, you're on your own, dude, right? Pastor, you said you had authority over creeping things. I'm out. Hope, hope, you, hope you really meant that, right? But you'd be very what? You'd be conscious of snakes, a friend of mine, I helped him uh, pioneer a church, and uh, you know they were in a warehouse, right? And so I, I, I was taking David up to visit him one day, and uh, you know he worked as an engineer for a company on the East Coast. He's an engineering genius, even though he never went to college, and just just brilliant. And uh, and so he worked for them, and then so his office was here, and then his uh, the church was in a warehouse. Um, and so they turned that into a church. So he'd do his engineering thing, and depending on which light would go off on his phone, it was either engineering or it was pastor, right? And so I'm walking up to the door, and you know, it's Fairfield, Iowa, so you're going to see anything there with Maharishi International University. You know, there's plenty of witchcraft, Satanism, Hinduism, Buddhism, every ism you could imagine, right? So I'm walking up there, and, and I see in the ground this big circle with this pentagram and all these little things all over it. And I'm like, oh man, the Satanists have been by, you know. And you just kind of, if that happened here, we'd be like, wow, wow, that's, that's crazy. In Fairfield, you're like, oh, pentagram, yeah, whatever, you know, right? And so walk in, and I'm talking to Greg, and uh, all of a sudden I look down, and there's this little, it looks like a cobra, now, you got to understand, there's a lot of foreign people that have moved to Fairfield, so he had his sanctuary in part of the warehouse, then there's a wall, and then there's people that have stuff stored. So I'm looking at this thing, and it's kind of a, a dark snake, and it's got diamonds on it, and its little head, it was only about this long, its little head is puffed out, and it's striking at my son. And I'm looking at this, so I'm like, I go, Greg, so I kind of grab David, you know, and uh, it's just a little guy. And so I'm like, Greg, you got a snake here. And I'm like, you better get that. He's like, I'm not getting it. He didn't, he was kind of afraid of snakes, right? <laughs> Never read Mark 16, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, so I grabbed a bucket and kind of kicked the thing in the, in the bucket, you know? And, and I'm like, man, what kind of snake is that? That looks crazy. So we ended up calling the police. We're like, hey, we better, because if this is some, you know, some dude moved from Egypt and there's some kind of, exotic snake multiplying, this is not a good thing. So why do I get off on these stories? I have, I have so many notes. This will make a point. So anyway, so, so we call the police. He goes, oh, that's a, was it a, a bull snake? And I guess they get like six feet long. So, I mean, real long. Farmers like them because I guess they eat all the mice in their barns or whatever. So they get really big. So we're like, oh, okay, well, okay, whatever. So then, so then I go back to visit Greg. I don't, no, I, I was not helping him yet, was I? 
That wasn't, we weren't there yet. We were downtown. So I was still at the other church. Yeah, we were, I was a discipleship pastor at the other church. So anyway, I go back and visit him about a week later. And I go walking up. And, and the front door of the church was just a door with a handle. And right next to it was a shovel. And you're like, okay, you know. And so I walk, I walk in. Hey, Greg, how's it going? And all this stuff. He goes, I'll show you how it's going. Come here. And I'm like, what? He, he walks me across the street, and in this ditch, there's just all these carcasses of all these massive, this big around, six feet long bull snakes without heads. Just nasty looking, smelled, you know? I'm like, man, what's this? He goes, oh, these are the snakes I've killed in the last week. I'm like, what? He goes, oh, yeah, he goes, come here. He goes, how many snakes have you seen around this place? I'm like, just that little one. He goes, come here. He goes, we'll see him. He walks me around the building, goes, look, I mean, we saw like six or seven fully grown bull snakes looking at us. He goes, one time I, I was walking to my car, I left the church, I shut the door, walked over to my car and went, oh shoot, I forgot something. Walk back, 20 seconds later, there's a six foot bull snake hanging over the handle. Right? I'm like, well, I guess you're not afraid of snakes anymore. He goes, nope. He goes, just give me a shovel, man. Their head is coming off. So then he goes to this conference. He goes to this conference, and he had killed 49 of these snakes. And, and this guy is preaching to several hundred people, and all of a sudden he stops. And he goes, he goes, I, I have a word for you. He goes, you'll kill the 50th snake, and it'll be done. And he goes, the guy goes, does that even bear witness at all with you? I mean, it was weird. And Greg's like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> he went back home, he killed one more snake, and no more. Never saw another snake again. Isn't that funny? Satan is a punk, right? But he was, see, I mean, could you imagine? He had one pregnant lady. Can you imagine you come to church expecting. You got a belly out to here and you're on fire for the Lord. So you sit in the front row and a six-foot bull snake falls out of the ceiling and goes across your feet. But, I mean, literally, that's how crazy this stuff was. They were snake conscious. That's what I mean. So many people live that way, sin conscious. I'm thinking all day, about my sin and how I'm a sinner and how I don't measure up and therefore God really can't move in my life. This is telling you your conscience has been purged. Satan will tell you, no, look at the way you're thinking. Your conscience isn't purged. And the response to that is, liar, for it is written. My conscience has been purged by the blood of Jesus that will help you take every thought captive. Hallelujah. Boy, that needs to be preached in churches. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus is what makes you love what he loves and makes you hate what he hates. In the New Testament, the blood of Christ it brings forgiveness and removes the sin consciousness. You're really free. 
You're not just free in your spirit. You're free and your, your conscience has been purged. It's part of your spirit. The blood of Christ in your consciousness, it produces what we call a righteousness consciousness. What does that do? That will bring your faith to a higher expectation to receive all that God has for you. That's how, that's how you walk by faith. So important. So as we said earlier, the New Testament word for forgiveness is remission. It is literally not only forgiveness, it's the cancellation of the penalty and the removal of the guilt, shame, and condemnation. Verse 12. Let's go on here. I'm sorry, verse 12. Colossians 1.12. Let's go to Colossians. Let's look at what Colossians says about this. We're going to go up the same mountain a few different ways. The, the epistles tell you a lot about this, but we just skip over this because we don't take time to gain revelation. The Lord told me, he, he, he told me, he says, Tony, I've called you to make this simple. So this will be simple for you. As a matter of fact, when you come here, things will always be simple. The more you listen, the simpler it gets. Now the ditch over here is, well, I guess I figured, I've, I've had so many people tell me, yep, I got everything from you I could get, now I've got to go somewhere else. Thank you for all your teaching on healing, but now there's this other church that I'm going to go to. They actually will even tell me the names of all the demons behind all the sicknesses. Ugh. No thank you. When you talk to demons, it's really quick. Shut up and leave. Get out of my life. You defeated foe who's nothing, right? Colossians 1.12, look at this. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, he didn't make you a steak. Meat, get that? No, no, no. That word meat means able. So let's break this down. Giving thanks. First of all, it's the Greek word eucharisto. It literally means constantly, without ever stopping, constantly giving thanks. Man, I'm telling you, you could get the wine out of your voice if you just constantly give thanks. Constantly giving thanks unto the Father, which made us. This word kazu is in the Greek. I'm probably not saying it correctly, but it literally means he qualified us. How did he qualify us? He literally redeemed us with the blood of Jesus. He qualified us, able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. You're qualified. Laying hold of your healing, laying hold of provision, laying hold of all of your inheritance is not a hard thing. You think it's hard because you're looking at the wrong thing. It's not hard. To lay hold of freedom, it's not hard because you're already free. Verse 13, now he's going to start explaining it. How did he make you able? Well, look at this. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. And this word, who hath delivered, that's in the aorist tense, who once and for all 
took us out of the delegated influence of darkness and once and for all put us into the kingdom of his dear son. So now we learn from New Testament truth that not only am I in the kingdom, but the kingdom is in me. So now wherever I go is the kingdom, right? I'm so thankful because I remember there was this guy, uh, the night stalker in Southern California, he was killing people. And uh, a guy in my college and career group, his dad was on the task force, so he was privy, this guy was real demonic, he would go in people's houses when they were asleep and kill them, put pentagrams on the wall and all this other stuff, and, and they had heard that he was part of some Satanist thing that met out in the valley over at the foot of Saddleback Mountain. So one night, I was feeling really just, I just got all stirred. And I'm like, that's it, I'm going out. I'm going out there. And I literally went where it was. I'm out in the woods in the dark. There's mountain lions. I'm, I'm, my, if you'll see my guardian angel in heaven, he's probably got marks and, <laughs> you know, and all this stuff. Thank God for his grace because I was foolish. And I'm, you know, I mean, everything within me is, I mean, fear is all over. And I'm just like, no, I'm not, fear, I'm not fearful. I had my baseball bat. You know, good half Sicilian boy, have you have your baseball bat. Tony, you're only half Sicilian. You should have been carrying like an Uzi on the other hand, right? So I'm out there and I find this altar. And I'm like, every foot that my, tra I mean, my foot's tread, I could just see Jesus going, well, you know, his intentions are so good. Lord, protect him. You know, otherwise I probably shouldn't be here today. I'm walking around this altar. I kick over the rocks and stuff like that, you know. Um, but anyway, they do it in safe areas at least. I was out in the middle of nowhere. And so I did all this, and I was just so pumped. I don't think I accomplished anything, but I'm so thankful that when I was out there, probably where I shouldn't be, I was still in the kingdom. Even if you get out a little bit off, you're still in the kingdom, so just come to yourself, right? Now I'm old enough. Would I go out and do that again? Absolutely, but I know his voice a lot better now. I would only do that if he is telling me to do that, right? Hallelujah. Verse 14, in whom we have... This word have is the Greek word echo. In whom we possess and own redemption. We own it. This, we've been ransomed because a payment has been paid. In other words, you own it because his blood ransomed you. Not just all of us collectively. Nope. All of us individually. You own your redemption. Blood has been shed for you. And everything you face Literally, there's blood that is at your disposal. You've been redeemed. God wants you to know that. That's why he's saying it. You've been transferred out of this nonsense. You've been put into the kingdom of God. You own redemption. You possess it. How do you do that? Through his blood. That's how I own it. Notice none of this has anything to do with how good you and I are. This is all Jesus. Oh, this is why Paul said in Ephesians 1 that you would know the incredible power 
that is pointed at you as you believe what God said. We're to know that. The power of the blood of Jesus. Look at this. Through his blood, in whom we possess redemption, through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness. Man, I'm telling you, when I saw this for the first time and the Lord started taking me through this, because I always thought, you know, my parents said that they forgave me when I'd mess up. But then the next time I'd mess up, I'd get in trouble for that and everything else I had done. <laughs> Just keep getting brought back up. Right? I mean, by the time you're a teenager, that, it's, wow. You know, Mom, Dad, you remembered that? Seriously? I don't even remember that. Oh, well, let me remind you, right? You know, wow. <laughs> so when we read forgiveness, you almost feel like God, well, yeah, you know, he's forgiven me. But, but, but New Testament forgiveness, this is the Greek word, ephesus. It means he forgave you. He canceled the penalty completely. He erased it. And then he took away the guilt and the shame and the condemnation that could try to come back. It's gone. Even the forgiveness of sins. Literally, forgiveness has within it the deliverance from the power of sin. Now, it doesn't have deliverance from the presence of sin. That's why you are still, Satan's going to come at you, right? He's going to try to ignite your flesh and try to throw thoughts in your mind to get you to take your spirit man captive and go do some sinful or unrighteous behavior. But you got to understand, you've been made free from the power of sin. So this presence of sin is never to touch you. Do you see that? This is so, so very important. When you are blood conscious, you are no longer sin conscious. If you're, not, if you're not blood conscious, you probably will be sin conscious. But not in your spirit. Your spirit, and see, that's the thing. You get sin conscious and your spirit, you'll have inner turmoil because you're like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not who I am. I'm forgiven. Yeah, but I feel so bad. I know, but inside I'm going, but I'm not. The death of Christ has in it the power to destroy all that you and I used to be in Adam. There is no residual of who we are in Adam. You are a brand new creation. It's just time to renew your mind which will enable you to present your body a living sacrifice. You, you tell your body how we're going to live. You renew your mind. I'm telling you, as you renew your mind with the word of God, light comes, you'll start to see a, everything, right? Everything looks better. Food tastes better. I haven't grown to the point where a Brussels sprout tastes good, but I, would, I bet in heaven, Brussels sprouts probably taste good. You know, I don't know. But you know, everything changes. Everything changes. Enemies that you have, people that have hurt you, all of a sudden you just love them. 
because everything's different now. I love that. The Father sees you in Christ through his blood. The blood speaks. It speaks to you all the time of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and you. You were crucified with him. You were buried with him in baptism. That's what we're going to do today, right? These people are going to, I mean, when you took, take somebody and you put them under the water, that signifies that they were buried with Christ. And when we lift them out, that's why there's such an anointing. Because they're raised to a new life. Brand new life. Hallelujah. The blood of Christ brings us literally into the very presence of God. The blood of Christ speaks of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It speaks of it. Doesn't Romans 8, 16 tell you that? The Spirit himself is on the inside of you, bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. That's the blood speaking. The Holy Spirit's just revealing it. Amen? Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Jump down there real quick. Colossians 1, 20. And having made peace. What do you mean peace through his blood? What do you mean peace? Peace between God and man. Peace between God and you. Jesus' blood, having made, he made peace with you and God. God's not mad at you today. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Reconcile everything back to himself. This word reconcile is an awesome word. It means to call back into union. You and I have been called back into union with God. Jesus said it this way, we're one spirit with him. You see how this makes the whole Bible make sense? It literally means to restore you to favor with God through the power of his cross. It literally means the restoration of a peace that has been disturbed. The peace that man had with God was disturbed by Adam's sin. It's been completely taken care of now. Through the blood of the cross, there was a blood covenant made between God and the last Adam, who was Jesus. Right? Adam. Adam. It would be, it, it would be pronounced Adam. Ah, God. Dom, blood. You won't see that if you just look at a Hebrew concordance. You've got to go to the ancient Hebrew. Adam was made with the very blood of God. The second Adam had the blood of God flowing through his veins too. The first Adam died spiritually and it messed the whole thing up. The last Adam, Jesus, had the blood of God flowing through his veins through too. But then he redeemed us with that blood. So now there's a blood covenant. We were included in this last covenant that is between God and the last Adam, Jesus. 
Jesus is my guarantee. I don't have to keep this. He kept it. He's the guarantor. We were included in this last covenant. Boy, when we talk about the blood covenant, so now we're shifting. We're going a little deep here today. This means that God has decided to see you and I through the blood, not through our behavior. So stop seeing yourself through your behavior. And you will walk free from your behavior. Jesus made reconciliation on the cross in Satan's domain. This forever settled the issue that Satan and all of his demonic powers have been subdued, conquered. The battle is over once and for all. He knows it. He never wants you to know it. He, does not, he hates this message. Right? He hates it. That's why you pray for your pastor. Satan hates me. I got news for you. He hates you too. He hates anything that smells like righteousness. And that's why we stand together because none of us are leaving this place early. Nobody's taken any of our lives, right? Because of the blood of Jesus. We've been given authority over Satan and his demons because of this reconciliation. Isn't that amazing? Jesus went to the cross took upon himself every penalty that was in that barrier of sin. He took it all upon himself. Now, the only thing from the worst sinner and, and God himself, a holy God, the only separation now, the only thing standing between them is Jesus. The Bible says God's not imputing, he's not accounting man's sins during this age of the dispensation of grace, which is very shortly coming to an end, right? That's why you and I have been called. On Wednesday night, I want to encourage you, if you could come, we're talking about the kingdom of God. Those who are here Wednesday night, boy, was that good? Because you got to know that you are called to administrate this kingdom on the earth. And we are to take the kingdom all over this earth. So the issue of salvation, it's no longer a sin issue. The issue of salvation is, is, is only this. You either accept Christ or you're rejecting him. It's not clean yourself up and try to be good enough so God could... No, 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 no. Sin's not, not the issue anymore. It's are you willing to bow to his lordship and, and invite him in? So you guys ready for verse 21? Sure. Colossians 1.21, it says, And you, talking about us, who were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked, wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. He called us back to union. He brought us into favor with God through the power of his cross. He restored the peace that was disturbed. Verse 22, and you hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. He, re he restored it. Why? Romans tells us all of our sin was once and for all condemned in the body of Jesus. That can't be reopened. You'll never stand before God and have to deal with any sin. In the body of his flesh through death. Why? Why did he do that? To present you. 
This means to consecrate you and then to declare you. Do you realize that literally the God of heaven has consecrated you and declared you holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight? Wow. Let's look at that. Un- present you holy and unblameable. That means unblameable. Here's the, it's a really tough definition. Without blame. <laughs> unblameable means without blame. Unreprovable, this is a little, this is a little vague. This literally means unaccusable. It actually goes beyond unaccusable. It literally means unaccused. Well, Satan's the accuser of the brethren. How does that work? So? Do you think he's standing before the throne of God accusing you? No. He has no access there. God wouldn't put up with it. Shut up and get out. Tony's unaccusable. He's unaccused. He's completely, completely free. Yeah, but he sinned. Show it to me. Let's open the books. There's nothing there. No, 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 no. No, I have a film. I have a HD 4K. Nope, nope, nope. I'm God. No, no. Oh, what you're seeing there, that was paid for. So it no longer exists. Not covered, no longer exists. Blameless. Not only unblameable, but blameless in his sight. In his sight. This could be translated sight or it could be translated presence. Do you know the presence of God is here right now? And when he's looking at you right now, if you're a child of God, if he's looking at you, then you're holy. He looks at you. Now, he's God. He's all-knowing. And he's saying, you're holy. You're unblameable. You're blameless because of the blood of Jesus. And that's what we've been given. All we had to do was believe it. Wow. It says here, talking about these scriptures, the blood of Christ, it speaks of a death that has taken place for you. Do you know your inheritance is released when death occurs, right? Even in the natural. You plead, so this is how it works. You plead the blood of Christ. The blood speaks of a death that has taken place for you and then your inheritance is released. Your healing, your provision, your freedom. Right? It's all released. You you have to plead the blood You have to say, wait a minute. I declare that I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood over my finances, over my ministry, over my marriage, over my kids, over my life. You plead the blood, and then what happens? The blood speaks of the death that has been taken place for you, and then your inheritance is released. Your inheritance is released to you. 
Are we talking about blood or are we talking about faith? Yes. This speaks about a righteousness that I did not produce. This produces a perfect righteousness in him. It brings us into the presence of God without any sense of guilt, inferiority, as if sin never existed. I'm telling you, you got to renew your mind to this because it's just, it just, you got you to gotta continually look at it and speak it so that the Holy Spirit opens us up and our whole eternity, we're going to become more and more aware of what we've been made. So when Satan wants to come and bring up your past, do you notice he only stays current? Like he only brings up my past over the last, you know, so I'm 60. Let's just go maybe the last 47 years. <laughs> maybe 48 years, because, you know, before you're 12, whatever, right? But let's just say 48 years. So when he brings up my past, hey, you did this 40 years ago. I'm like, oh, time out, Satan. You want to bring up my past? Bring up my past. Keep going. We got to go all the way back to AD 30. When Jesus was hanging on a cross and it was all erased. You want to talk? Let's talk about my past. I am forgiven. The penalty has been erased and the guilt has been removed. So you shut up and you get out of my life in Jesus' name. That's how aggressive you have to be with him. Right? This is huge. God is our, he's a spirit. He sees us through our newborn again spirit. So important. Hallelujah. You are righteous and holy. So let's finish with this, with verse 23, or yeah, we're going to finish a couple more scriptures. Give me like a couple more minutes. Verse 23, if, notice now, everything he provided for you, now we're talking, we're going to start talking about how you walk it out. This is all, this is all a reality in your life, but positionally, but you have to walk this out. So now that's why it says if. It makes you walking in your holiness, your blamelessness, your unaccusableness. It makes it conditional. If you continue in the faith. How do you continue in the faith? What do you mean? If you continue in the faith, grounded. This word grounded is important. It means to lay a foundation. You have to lay a foundation. This Greek word grounded, is, it's found in Matthew 7.25. So go ahead and leave here, and you guys stay here in Colossians, but go ahead, Carl, put up, set, go to verse 24 first. We'll read it in context. It says in verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. This sounds a lot like Pastor Dave's message this morning. I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. This is going to be your life on this earth. But look at this. But the house did not fall for it was founded. Same Greek word 
as in verse 23 of chapter 1 of Colossians, grounded. It was founded upon a rock. This same word is found in Luke chapter 6. So go to Luke chapter 6. You stay in Colossians. Carl goes to Luke chapter 6, verse 47. I want, I want you to see this word again. Used again. Whosoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them. We're talking about how to walk this out now. I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house. I would love to tell you that you are a child of God, a member of Faith Family Church. You're never going to have another stream beat vehemently. But I would be lying to you. If there's not one now, great. The Holy Spirit will be preparing you for the next one. Because we live in the valley of the shadow of death, but we are never to be moved by it. Look at what it says here. I love this. The stream beat vehemently upon that house. When I read that, I see these little demons trying to take me down. And the harder they beat, they couldn't even shake it. And could not shake it, for it was founded, same word as grounded in Colossians 1, upon a rock. If you, go back to Colossians now, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled. This Greek word settled means you've literally, you're at rest. You know what rest looks like? It's the Greek word for settled. It literally means immovable. Do you know you are immovable when you are at rest? When you're toiling, you're movable. That's why Jesus said, listen, my yoke is easy, my burden's light. Be strong in me. So we're to be grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Don't be moved away from the hope of the gospel. There are people listening to me right now. I don't know if you're here or online, but you're being moved away from the hope of the gospel. You're looking at your future and you're just saying, this is not working. And I'm here to encourage you, he is working. You have to start working with him. And this is your missing piece. This is your answer. You need to start speaking what he speaks. And it will dispel depression. It'll dispel the fear. It'll dispel the anxiety. It'll turn the lights up so that you see things as, you as they really are, that you have great hope of your future in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So if that's for you, you take that. That's a word of prophecy for you. Look at this. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Guys, we are free. Boy, there's so many other scriptures we could go through, but I think we've done a good job of it this morning. Man, if you are not, if you are not on fire right now, then your wood is wet. So go stand outside and praise God in the sun. It'll dry your wood and you will be fine, right?